You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. Man, it is so good to be back with you. Three weekends out of here is too long, too long, but it was great. It was a great time for my family. It was a time of spiritual renewal for me. Those of you who know, I've been in Colorado, Utah, a couple other states, and we literally climbed every mountain uh, in those two major states. And it was a time of intense prayer for me as we were up going up the mountains and I was tracking behind Sarah and the girls it was like dear Lord please please get me to the top or please Lord just take me home and uh, seriously though it really did become a time once I got my breath it became a time of just being grateful you know do, do, you, do you ever have those times where we're just you're overwhelmed by the things that God has allowed and has given you in your life grateful not just for the beautiful scenery of his creation but for my wife and for my girls and for our church family man if you are not part of this church family there is no family like it and it's so good it's so good to be home and for those of you who have taken your next step maybe you've become a member of this church family or you gave your life to the lord in baptism while we were gone All I've got to say is welcome home, right? Welcome home. It's so good to have you. Last Saturday night, uh, one of our teens, Colin Gillis, uh, came and and committed to being right here at this church as an immersed believer, and he's very, very involved already downstairs in our loft ministry. And and Colin, it's just great, great to have your involvement and your presence here (laughs) along with all of these fine people. If you haven't taken time this morning, there's a welcome home card inside your program, and that's very important to me. Uh, I get a report every Monday morning that has your name, the discoveries that you're making, the connections that you want to make, and we do our best to come alongside of you and pray with you about those things and encourage you in those next steps and help get you involved where you would like to be. So please take time during the service to do that. Well, grab a Bible, and, a, and, and please grab a Bible. There's uh, some under the seats in front of you. But grab your Bible and turn with me to this book, this letter in the New Testament that we've been looking at, 1 Timothy. This week we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as Paul leads us to this subject of leadership. Now, the subject of leadership at first does not seem as appealing as the subjects that the younger guys have gotten to teach on the last three weeks, right? You hear leadership and it just doesn't feel that exciting. But yet, it's one of those topics that today I want us to unpack together that has significance, great significance in every one of our lives in this room, and more importantly, significance in the life of those who are not in this room who have yet to have a relationship with Christ and his church. And there are two things that I want you to walk away with this weekend. I hope more, but there are two things. And the first is this, what you and I do individually with leadership in our lives, it has a significant impact on our ability to fulfill the very purpose that God has set us apart for. That's the whole theme of this series, is that as a Christ follower, you and I have been set apart. We are purposed. 
We're, we're not to be deluded. We're, we're not to be sidetracked, but we are to be laser focused on the, the privilege that God has given us. And that is to help people back to him. Now, while Paul addresses primarily in his text here this morning, leadership in the church, I want you to understand that these marks of leadership that we're going to look at, while some consider it a checklist, these marks of leadership, listen, they are a reflection of God's transformative power in your life. These are not things that we we set apart men or women to attain to. These are things that should exist in every believer's life, at least every believer who's maturing in their faith. So please listen up, take notes, make adjustments. And before you leave today, make the decision. Make the decision to be a leader in your home and in your place of work and in your schools. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says, here is a trustworthy saying, an important saying, a saying that holds true. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, well, he desires a noble task. If you think about it, if you think about it, all of our lives have been impacted from an early age by good or poor leaders. Elementary school, Little League, Brownie, Scouts, we've experienced the impact of, of good leadership or subpar, even poor, terrible leadership. We may not have recognized it at first, but how well our teachers and our principals, our scout leaders, our coaches, our church youth sponsors, our small group leaders, how well our pastor led impacted our life in one way or another, either for the good or for the worse. We read the headlines of leaders who have abused their position of influence and power at the cost of a young person's innocence, and we're sickened by that. Leaders who have violated the trust of their company or their church, not to mention those who, by lack of godly leadership in their own lives, have misguided those most vulnerable. And I've got to tell you, I think of our government leaders. First of all, when I look at this, our elected officials. Remember the purpose of Paul's letter to Timothy was what? It was to direct Timothy in the task of addressing the poor leadership that existed in this church of Ephesus where Timothy had been sent. He had to go and he had to correct an issue that may lead to the expelling of those who were in a position of leadership. And so Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit, lays down in this portion of his letter to Timothy and to you and I, what I want you to consider a baseline. This is the bare minimum. This is a baseline for leadership. And so the first point is this, solid leadership, solid leadership is not born in a university it's even not born out in the field. Solid leadership is born out of a God-centered heart. Obedience to Scripture. Serving others. And the discipline to persevere. 
This is the gravity of what Paul is saying when he says, if anyone sets their heart, if anyone desires to be a leader, well, then he desires a noble task. Now, there's a distinct pattern for church leadership in the New Testament, and I'd be remiss if we didn't address exactly what Paul is addressing here. Even though I say this applies to every leader, he specifically addresses leadership in the church. And Paul uses this title here in chapter 3 of overseer. Of overseer. You, you may not have heard that word used in context of church leadership here. You're more familiar with elder or pastor or shepherd. And, and what we need to understand is that throughout the, the letters to Timothy... Peter's writing, the letter to Titus, that all four of those words are interchangeable. We're speaking about the same, the same person, the same leader. Each describes, though, a particular aspect of leadership. In Acts chapter 20, for example, in verse 17, Paul is speaking to these very same leaders that now Timothy is speaking to and he refers to them there in verse 17 as elders and then just a few verses later in verse 28 he refers to them as overseers and then he goes on to describe their leadership role which is pastoral and their their shepherding responsibilities so you can see where we get all of these words some even throw in the title of bishop into that right bishop dave i you know that's got a ring to it right <laughs> No, 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 no. And, and in fact, you, many are so kind and they say, Pastor Dave. And I said, no, just please, it's Dave. It's Dave. But I've also come to realize, though, that that, that title means something. Well, from these and other passages, we see that the leadership model God's described, prescribed for his church is exactly this, that of pastor, elder, overseer, and shepherd. And our primary purpose is to lead, teach, and watch over the church. Now, while the elders, the pastor, is responsible for teaching and leading the flock, the role of deacon, or what you often hear described as here as a ministry leader, focuses on the more physical needs of the church. In Acts chapter 6, the early church in Jerusalem was overwhelmed by the work that had to be done. Uh, not the spiritual work of praying for and, and shepherding the flock, but, but the, the practical things that had to be done. The widows and others in the community who needed food, who needed shelter, who needed help. And, and all of a sudden, these elders, these pastors, they, they began to, to have to neglect some of the more important things in order to take care of these basic needs. And, and so the apostles responded. He said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And so to relieve, to relieve the pastors and the elders, they were told to pick out from among them men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom to be appointed for this physical role. And we remember they chose Stephen Stephen, who became the first martyr who died for his faith. Talk about commitment. You talk about being sold out 
Paul said, if anyone, if anyone aspires to serve as an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, that word aspires means something. It means to, to reach out for. It means to, to grab hold of, to, to, to grab on. And in verse 2, he continues by listing those matters in a Christian's life that a leader aspires to and stretches toward and reaches after and what I want you to understand has already attained. Verse 2, now the overseer is to be above reproach. Now, now at first that word reproach, that doesn't mean to, to re-step on a roach. Right, it, it, uh, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. What's reproach? Well, I want you to circle that word, and we're going to come back to it because it's significant here. But he goes on, he says, The overseer must be the husband of one wife. And, and I know every woman in here will agree that you only need one husband. So my wife says she's never getting married again after I'm gone. But the husband of one wife, what does that mean? Well, it's literally translated as a one-woman man. It doesn't mean that you can't have been divorced before you became a Christian and, 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 and now be rejected as a leader in the church. That happens. But what he's saying is that as a man, as a godly man, you're not out inspecting the replacements. You're not looking for a better updated model. You're not looking at Joe's wife or Dave's wife saying, I, I wish I had that model. What happened to you, right? But you have one love, earthly love, in your life. The time is not up. You reset that timer. <laughs> now, the overseers above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, temperate. He doesn't blow up. He's self-controlled. So self-controlled. Does that, does that not ring a bell? Whose spirit inside of us produces self-control? God's. Respectable, hospitable. That doesn't mean that you're in the hospital frequently like I have been. But it means that you open up your home. That you're in other people's homes. Able to teach. Not given to drunkenness. Doesn't say you can't have a drink. Not proponent of that. But it says not given to drunkenness. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. Kind of a parenthetical statement there that Paul adds. I can just imagine in his writing. He says, how, how can a man lead the church if he can't even lead his home? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Remember, the devil wanted to lead a rebellion. And in this case, Paul was writing to Timothy about leaders in the church that were leading a rebellion. They were preaching things that were completely outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you continue reading, you're going to find similar attributes for the lives of those who serve as ministry leaders or deacons. But what I don't want you to skip over is on down in verse 11. 
He even addresses the wife of a leader or women who serve in a leadership role as being worthy of respect. Ladies, ladies, do you conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the respect that you demand that you have in your life? Worthy of respect, not malicious talkers. Ladies, you want to ruin a good Bible study or a service group, just start whispering behind other ladies' backs. My wife says often, if a person will talk to me about someone else, who knows what they're saying about me behind my back. Don't keep a trust, ladies, but spread the news so that it appears that you're in the know. But they must be temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now, many look to Paul's list here in chapter 3 as a checklist for leadership, right? We find a popular person. We find a good businessman. We find somebody who's just been that person, right? They've been here since they were born. And we say, okay, we're going to elect this person as an elder. We're going to have a, have a big silent vote. You know, if you vote no, we, we won't ask you why. Just we're going to vote. And, and then we raise this person up to be a leader, and, and we hope we hope that they'll, you know, get things settled at home that really aren't so good. No, it's not, it's not a checklist. It's not a checklist. Some, some want to look at the list and they want to mitigate away obvious failings. Like a man must manage his family well. Well, we understand, right? Some kids are just hellions from the get-go. No. No. Preacher's kids don't have to be the worst kids in the church. Yes. A man must manage his family well. But if he has a wayward child, right, it's not his fault. He should be a good businessman with a good reputation in the community. Well, at least as best efforts. We, we know in business there are hard decisions that have to be made. You know, sometimes our language isn't the best, but that's just what it takes to run a company. That's how we mitigate these things. It says he's not supposed to be a drunkard, but, but drinking socially, stopping by the bar, well, that's all part of just making business, isn't it? What about marijuana if it becomes legal? Is that okay? But what God through Paul is laying out here isn't a checklist at all. And I want you to understand, he's not describing a work in progress either. Somebody who tries really hard. What God is giving us is a description of the man who has put God first, unashamedly, who has put God first in every aspect of his life, and the fruit of his life is consistent over time. That's why Paul says he can't be a recent convert. I've had people come up and want to give a testimony. I'm sober. How many days have you been sober? A day. Great. Good for you. And I mean that. Good for you if you've been sober for a day. Let's make it a year. Let's make it two years. Let's be consistent in the choice that we're making. You see, while leaders can be developed, one's life can only be transformed by obedient surrender to God's spirit. And the reality is, as long before we can serve as an overseer in the church, we are to have fully surrendered our life to the transformative power of God's spirit. 
And we're either obediently surrendered or we're not. Now, these attributes in chapter 3 are the results of a surrendered and a transformed life. Remember Paul's words in Galatians 2.20. He spoke of his baptism. He spoke of his life in Christ. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live in this body. It's Christ who lives in me. This is what Paul is describing here. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he's got to be a Christian first. He's got to have this relationship with Christ first. I mean, go back and look at the list. Are not all expected of Christ's followers? Isn't Christ expected to be behind my marriage and my spouse? Aren't we expected to be self-controlled and gentle? Certainly leaders in the church should be surrendered to the Spirit, but so should every Christ follower. This is the mark of the Christian. This is the mark of the Christ follower. We are covered in his dust. You want a word picture to go with this? The disciples walked so closely with the master that the dust off of his feet literally covered them. You know, it was like me and Sarah in the mountains. <laughs> Here's Sarah. Here's my 11-year-old, my 16-year-old, and they are hoofing it. And I'm back there breathing so hard, <laughs> praying for my next breath. And by the end of the day when I showered, it was a mud bath in that tub. I was covered in their dust. Reset that timer, please. I got 10 more minutes. So if you're a leader of any caliper, you also understand that leadership, the call to lead is daunting, especially the call within the church. I can think of nothing more difficult. And, and I've been a leader at some of the highest levels for our government. And there's nothing more difficult. There's also no greater honor. But the call to lead, especially in the church, requires faithfulness and obedience to one person. And that's God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Leaders are the ones who keep the guardrails in place for the congregation. Leaders are accountable to the pastor, just as the pastor is accountable to the leaders to be doctrinally accurate. Above reproach. Now, that's an interesting word. That's the one I had you circle because it's worth going back to. What in the world does above reproach mean? Well, it literally means nothing to take hold upon. It means that there's no legitimate concerns that a person can hold up or to criticize. Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 19, he says, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder, a pastor, a leader, unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. That's significant. It doesn't mean you come in and accuse me or you accuse one of our elders of something without having two or three that saw it too. It's a serious thing to accuse a leader of impropriety. But I want you to understand something. It's the reason why you will never see a staff member at lunch or in a car or behind closed doors with a person of the opposite sex here. And ladies, you shouldn't allow it from your husbands either. In the same way men 
There's no excuse for it, and there's no need for it. It only opens the door to not be above reproach. It's why I don't pick up the offering plate at the end of the service and take it to my office before I take it to the two that are accountable to each other to count the money and to secure it in a sealed bag under the watch of one of our security people. Someone came up to me the other night at Fall Festival. And I'm, I mean, it was literally just like this. They passed in front of me and I felt them put something in my pocket. I was like, uh-oh, you know, what, what am I, a drug mule now? Or what, you know, what am I? And uh, a little bit later, I, I reached in there and it was a wad of 20s. I was like, wow, wow, this is a tip, you know? I've told so many of you, do not hand the preacher money. Because you see, I had to make a decision. I just got back from Colorado. <laughs> We'd spend that much money on hamburgers and french fries. But I came in and I laid it on my desk and Sunday morning, I took an envelope and I wrote the person's name on it that handed me that money and I put it in the offering plate. Why did I do that? Because they will get at the end of the year a statement from Loretta, who's the only one that knows what you give, and it will say, you gave $120 in cash. Now, I don't know if that was intended for me or for God, right? When he handed that to me, he didn't say anything. He just walked past, stuck it in my pocket. But I have to be above reproach. And $120 is not worth my leadership in this church. I'm not saying I'm not worth $120. You know, (laughs) some people doubt that. But it's a serious thing to accuse the leader. You see, my life, the staff's life, the elder's life has to be above accusation. Now, a person could be accused of anything. But listen, it's immediately proved false by the consistency of our disciplined actions. Does that make sense? Uh, David never does that. Oh, you don't have any witnesses to that? I I think you need to go and recheck yourself. Wouldn't you like to live that way? I do. I like living that way. Why is it so important for a leader's life to be above reproach? Talk about a man who's having trouble controlling his family over there. (laughs) Goodness. Oh, it was her. She's pinching him. Yeah. 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 Why is it so important for a leader's life to be above reproach? If it isn't obvious, let me give you four. The first is this. You are the target of Satan's schemes. The minute that you are given, that you are asked, that you are called to lead, he will assault you with more temptation than others. I remember good friend Bob Russell. He's a model preacher. I don't listen to these young guys, not that they're not any good. But I listen to Bob because Bob has 50 years of ministry and he's never been unfaithful to his church, to his wife, to his family, to God. But I remember him telling us the story of the night that he was in his office late and he walked out of his office and there was the most stunning woman, beautiful woman that he had ever seen other than his wife. And she approached him and it was very obvious what she wanted. And he said, ma'am, you have no business in this building. You need to leave. And he turned around and he went to his office to call 
someone accountable and to say, hey, there's a woman in this building. I'm in my office and I need this taken care of. He said he walked back out and he said in the next 10 years, he never saw that woman again. He was certain that she was a messenger of Satan coming to tempt. And many of you leaders, you, you can speak to the same things. You wonder why our kids get messed up sometimes? They are under greater attack than your kids could ever dream of being. Because God, uh, Satan knows that if he can take out a leader in the church, that he can screw up some lives. And certainly those, those who are unsaved and watching. And that's the second reason the fall of a leader can wreck a church, it can wreck a business, and as you are seeing, it's wrecking a government. Satan knows that when the shepherd falls, the effect on the sheep is devastating. Third, the leader's knowledge of the truth. Now listen to this, because this, remember these apply to us. The leader's knowledge of the truth and accountability to live it brings greater punishment when we sin. You see, the problem with you coming to church here is that you're going to hear the truth of God. And it's up to you to decide what you do with it. Because the minute that it's been revealed to you is the minute that you're responsible for responding to it and aligning your life with it. And those who say that they are leaders who don't will receive greater punishment because we are held to a level of accountability, the Bible says, that is greater. Fourth, elders' sins are more hypocritical than others. Why? Because we preach against the very things that now we're caught sinning in. You see, the spiritually mature seek to be above reproach. The spiritually mature seek to be above reproach even in areas where there is freedom. While the spiritually immature ask, well, it's okay, isn't it, if I do this or... I know what I'm doing. Why should I not abstain from this? What, what's the harm? But the spiritually mature ask, will this be beneficial to others? And if it's not beneficial to others, will we give it up even if it's something that's okay for us to have? The Apostle Paul said, that he would not eat meat, drink wine, or do anything else if it would cause a brother to stumble. Remember, leadership is influence. Leadership's influence. And those who have been placed in a position of leadership, especially within the church, do so under the authority of God. We represent him and Jesus Christ. It's why Paul reminds Timothy in chapter 5, verse 22, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. What's the laying on of hands? When a leader is raised up in the church, we bring them before the church and we lay hands on them as other leaders and we ask for God's spirit like an extra measure of God's spirit to be given to them that they would be proven strong, that they would lead well. And so don't be hasty in that. Choose your leaders wisely is what he's saying. Finally, in chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes these words. And these are words that I've never preached before. And that's the beauty of going through a book verse by verse. But it's significant. It says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well 
are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox. So I guess us pastors are oxen. Some of you thought we were jackasses. <laughs> Do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. What's that mean? It means that we're commanded, we're commanded to support those who lead. You know, I'm so grateful. I was gone most of October, which was Pastor Appreciation Month. But I'm so grateful for those who God has entrusted to me who are retired ministers or who have chosen MCC as their home base where they come back to unless they're out supply preaching at a smaller church. Bill and Nancy Stone. Bill, 50 years in ministry. (laughs) David Johnson, who was here last night with his granddaughter, 50 years in preaching ministry. Earl and Phyllis Mullins, who are usually here on Sunday morning, who are serving the Church of Christ today over in Pekin because they go there on rotation to serve a smaller church that doesn't have the staff that we do. I'm grateful for that opportunity now to shepherd them and to make sure that they have what they need. Uh, For Bill, it means that I put window air conditioners in and take them out. Thank goodness for central air. Don't have to do that anymore. I'm grateful for the team that we have here at MCC, and I'm very grateful to our wives, to Sarah. Look at what she puts up with. (laughs) Amanda, Kelsey, Jenny, who, Jenny's who's upstairs right now on the computer making sure that the hundreds who connect online are able to be part of what you're a part of. Every one of us has a deep love for this congregation. And what I want you to understand is that that love isn't just said in words in times like this, but it's demonstrated in longevity. The average pastor lasts about a year and a half. Sarah and I have been here 17 years. You say, boy, you must be very bad. Nobody else wants you. (laughs) Brandon and Amanda, 16 years. Pam Hughes, our children's ministry, 16 years. David and Kelsey, Kelsey was raised here. David and Kelsey were married here. David was baptized here. David's been on staff now for eight years. Dan and Jenny, who've been here for six years. Amy and James. Amy has served the children's ministry for 16 years and now has served the last three years as a staff person. Jake. Jake, who was, he was baptized here, who's now in his first year of part-time staff here as he finishes college this coming fall. Our present elders each have served seven to eight years or more Friends, that's significant. That's different. That's unusual. And I want you to understand why. It's because we love this church. We love the call. Believe me, it's not something to boost our egos. It's because we love to serve. And serving as pastor, as an elder within this family, it's an honor. But here's the point. 
it is important for us to realize that leaders need the prayers and encouragement and support of other leaders. And you say, oh, aren't you part of a preacher's? I'm talking about you. You. We need your prayers. We need your encouragement. We need your support. Your tithe. You must obey God's command to tithe. This is how he funds, how he enables Sarah and I and David and Kelsey, Brandon and Amanda, to provide for our families. Your maturity in all of these areas that we've looked at today, it is critical. You are the face of the church, not me. You are MCC. People come and go based on you and how you are at Walmart just as you are here at church. You know, the greatest encouragement, though, to us is to see changed lives, to see people young and old light up to a life-changing relationship with Jesus that begins bearing fruit, the fruit of which is a is a good marriage, the fruit of which is respectful and responsible people who open up their homes and who open up their lives, who manage their family well, who have respectful children, a good reputation outside these walls, who are above reproach. My friends, it shouldn't be lost on you today that we have a problem in leadership at the highest level when I speak of leadership of our country. It's a problem born out of the rejection of God's word as truth. Again, my friend wrote of it this week and he did an eloquent job. But I wanna tell you today that the President of the United States, I wanna tell you today that the Speaker of the House I want to tell you that there are a plethora of others, but they are the most public. They have said, I'm a good Catholic, publicly. I'm a good Catholic. I'm a good Catholic. But they have clearly spoken of their intent to make government-funded abortion available to everyone. They have clearly spoken their endorsement of homosexuality. They have clearly spoken their agenda for gender-altering surgery to adolescents, and not to mention the rest of the things. And I want you to know that you are not a good Catholic. In fact, you are not a good Christian, Protestant, whatever label you want to put on yourself, when you stand before people and you condone the death, the murder of unborn children. Now, as soon as I speak about homosexuality and I speak about abortion, you say you're turning political. No, I'm not. They made it political in the 1970s and earlier when they began to decide the things that God has already decided for his people. So I'm not turning political. I could. But what I'm doing is I'm telling you, if you don't realize this, that these people have forgotten. These people have forgotten 
that what we do individually with leadership in our lives has a significant impact on our ability to fulfill the very purpose God has set for us and set us apart for. You see, every one of you in this room, you have a responsibility to live up to the things that God has called you when he saved you and he set you apart. And I know when I say abortion that there are people in this room who, when faced with a reality in your life, felt no other choice but to do that. I am not condemning you. But I'm saying, my friends, we as a people should never have pushed that on you because it's wrong. God decides those things. When I talk about homosexuality and the president of the United States believing that the government should support and protect those who are confused about their sexual identity. I am not condemning you. I'm saying that you acting on urges that are outside of God's natural order is a sin just as much as it would be for me to have a relationship with a woman that I am not married to or to have a sexual relationship with a woman before I'm married. I'm saying to you that no matter what the government says when they say that, yes, you can be married legally, that is not marriage as God created it before, before time. And I don't say those things to be hurtful or to be mean-spirited, but I say them because they're the truth. Someone said that uh, when I said last night, I don't know which word it was because I said them all. <laughs> but when I said homosexuality or, or, or uh, abortion, that the couple got up and left. Now, I, maybe they had to go to the bathroom. I, I, I don't, now's not a good time to get up, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Greg Nieder gets up and walks out. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, listen. Listen, we speak these things today because they have eternal consequences. That's why it's such an important matter. It's because all of these things have eternal consequences. And so the question for us this weekend, the question for you and me who have been set apart by God, who have been reconciled by God, into a relationship, given his spirit to empower and lead us, who wear the name of Christian. The question is, is how will you lead? How are you leading? How are you leading? How are you leading in your office? How are you leading in your family? How are you leading in your church? How are you leading in your school? How are you leading in your neighborhood? I remind you what Peter said. Peter said, you are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You see, that's what it is to be a good Catholic. That's what it is to be a good Protestant. That's what it is to be a good Christian. Are you? Are you? It's the point of chapter three of Paul's letter, my life, your life is to declare Jesus who called you out of darkness 
and into his light. And there's no exceptions. We can't separate that from politics. We can't separate that from our work life. We can't separate that from our coming and going everyday life when we're at Walmart or, or we're at the ball field. We decide daily. We decide daily. Either we accept the reality that we are called by God to lead by God in a way that impacts every crack and crevice of our life or we decline it. There's no sitting on the fence. It's what we confess when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ as Savior. Have you, have you forgotten that profession? I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Do you understand the significance of that? Because if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, then no matter what anyone else says that contradicts his word, it's what he says that matters. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the son of the living God. And I've accepted his salvation, but he's also Lord of my life. He's Lord of my beliefs. He's Lord of my convictions. He's Lord of my actions. He's Lord of my thoughts. He's Lord of it all. Now, if you've made that profession, church, listen, if you've made that profession, the challenge for you is what? Live it. Live it out. Live it to the full. And I say live it without being afraid. You want somebody to stand with you? I'll be here. I'll be here. Who knows what kind of trouble I'll face this week because this word is going every place, but that's okay because it's the truth. If you haven't made that profession, oh, friends, it changes everything. But it's only in that profession that you have eternity with Christ. It's only in that profession that you have power to live today. It's only in that profession that you can truly align with his precepts that brings right living to your marriage, right living for your children, right living at work, at home, at play, and right here in the church. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Well, Father, you know that this is not the sermon that I wanted to return with. I would sure have enjoyed just making jokes and, and talking about things that are so easy to accept about your love and about your grace and your mercy and, and how you love us all, all of which is true. But God, there's a whole lot of other truth. And the truth is, is that we're really not doing much in the area of leadership. We should be leading our country. We should be leading our churches. We, we, we should be leaders, leaders in our work, in our neighborhoods. But Father, we've forsaken that to please others. We've forsaken that than our bonus economics. We've forsaken that, Father. We look at our own lives and we know that if we hold the bar high from your word, well, someone can sure look at us and say, well, you're, you're sure not there yourself. And Lord, there's no excuse for us not being there ourselves. You've promised your power for everything that you've asked us to do. For some this morning, they need the assurance to step out into this aisle 
and to proclaim you as Savior and Lord of their life or to be a member who stands with this church. Lord, you know that we don't go out holding picket signs or we don't go out getting people's faces at clinics. Father, we represent you with love. And part of love is truth. So, Father, today, may you empower them. May they respond to your voice to step out and to accept you. Father, I love you. This church loves you. And we're glad to be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm here to talk if you'd like to talk about your next step.